Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. If you're looking for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style, Empowerography would love to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners, Quartz and Canary Jewelry and Wellness Company. Please use code EMPOWER15 to receive 15% off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com. Quartz and Canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Gabrielle Burton. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a philanthropist, and a podcast host. Good morning and welcome, Gabrielle. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time and making the time to be here with me today. I know it's quite early for you as you are on the left coast, so... It's bright and early for you, so I appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today, and I'm looking forward to jumping in and sharing a little bit about your story and your journey. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it as well. So as mentioned, you are a licensed marriage and family therapist, a philanthropist. You do work with kids mental around mental health, working in shelters, etc. And as I mentioned, you're also a podcast host. Now, I would imagine that the therapist career would be quite a demanding job career, And then, of course, you add in these other things that you're doing. How do you prioritize and how important is prioritization and organization for you? Oh, my goodness. Organization and prioritization is super important. Lately, my schedule has actually been quite hectic and I found myself like double booking myself on things. And so that's not my norm. And so I would say that it is very important to keep things written down and just making sure that I'm on top of like my sleep and, you know, my own mental health so that I'm able to show up to serve everybody that needs to be, you know, taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. So what types of things do you do to normally stay on top of things then? Like I said, writing things down is super helpful. Going to the gym is important for just Mm -hmm. like my mental health and trying to eat healthy, but also like taking time to myself. I love like just like journaling or reading, meditating is super helpful for me, but then also like finding creative outlets. Those things also really recharge me. So I love photography. I love singing, writing, dancing, and all that kind of stuff. So just making sure that I also have time to play because that really helps refill my bucket. Absolutely. So what motivated or inspired you to get into therapy and pursue a career in this field? And how long have you been a licensed therapist, Gabrielle? I've been a licensed therapist for six years now. And um, what motivated me, honestly, was my own just family background. I just have a lot of mental health issues like within my family and and just like my background, my mom was an on and off single mom with four kids and she's been married and divorced five times and she has four kids with three different fathers and we grew up moving around a lot. So a lot of instability and then my dad, he was very abusive mentally and emotionally and so just having a lot of my own struggles as a child really helped me want to kind of figure out what was going on with me. And so that's what led me to the field of mental health. A lot of times therapists, we end up in this field because of our own upbringings. 
So how would you say then that these experiences that you have personally experienced in your life have helped shape who you are as a woman, as a person, as a human being, both personally and professionally? I would say that it's really helped me to be incredibly grounded and also just well-rounded. It helps me also connect with my clients as a human first and foremost. It's not like I just went to school and read about mental health. I have my own experiences. I've dealt with my own issues with anxiety and depression and at one point was suicidal. And so I definitely know that this is something that I am so passionate about because it's my own personal story and journey. And it just helps me really, really, really connect with my clients. Yeah, I would say that for therapists, I mean, having those personal experiences and struggles, etc., would definitely... I would say, make you a much better therapist than someone, say, who hasn't gone through their own shit and struggled mm -hmm. and, and just reads about these yeah. things in books, like is educated and very book smart, but ha doesn't have the, for lack of a better term, street smarts or been through these things personally. Exactly. And, you know, we always say in therapy, therapists can only take their clients as far as they've gone themselves. Right. And so I'm like, I've been through hell and back. <laughs> I can help you. <laughs> when you're doing your therapy work, Gabrielle, do you find it hard not to bring your work home with you? And how do you deal with that so that you do your best not to do just that? Yeah, so good. I definitely think the longer that I've been in this field, the better I have been about just being able to leave my work at work, I definitely feel like it's super important that I prioritize my self-care. You know, I have to set boundaries in my personal life with like my friends and my family where they're not dumping on me. I have like the utmost capacity for my clients, but I don't have it for people that are not my clients. So it's super important for me to surround myself with people that understand that I need that time in that space to decompress. Sometimes after having long days of sessions, I'm literally fried. Like I have yeah. nothing to say. I don't want to have conversations. I don't <laughs> want to hang out. And so just having people in my life or sometimes I just got to be by myself so that I can just, you know, decompress and recharge. Right. Have some of your friends come to you and asked you for help and sessions, so to speak, like not formal sessions, but dumping their, their stuff on you? Not people that I would consider close, close friends. People, yeah, the people that are super close to me, they know I'm Gabby, first and foremost. And I'm, you know, I'm just me, I'm my person, and they allow me to have that space. But people that maybe follow me on social media, they see me as therapist first. And although I am a therapist, I'm not their therapist. And so yeah. I have to be very intentional about setting those boundaries with them and, <laughs> and like redirecting them to, you know, just finding their own resources. So yeah, but not people that I would consider are terribly close to me try to cross that boundary. I've heard people say that work in the therapy world, that this work has chosen them as opposed to them choosing the field of work to get into. Do you feel the same way? And if so, why do you feel that way? Oh, this field has definitely chosen me. I feel like I was a little therapist from a very young age. My mom would ask me for advice on men. I always had older people come to me and ask me, for advice. And I was just very wise beyond my years. In therapy, we call that parentification because I just was okay. a, little, a little adult. I had a lot of responsibility at a young age, but just wisdom beyond my years. And so people would always come and ask me for advice. Even in my friend group, my friend circle, people would ask me for guidance. So I don't think that I've ever not been 
a therapist. Wow. That's a lot of responsibility for a young person, like a kid. That's, that's a lot to take on and deal with. It really is. It really is. But I am grateful for, I would say a huge part of some of that wisdom I would say is my faith. Although we didn't, you know, I said we had a lot of instability in my childhood. The one thing that my mom was consistent about was keeping us in church. We would go twice every Sunday. And so I think from a very young age, my faith is what really helped keep me sane, honestly, and grounded. Do you feel that with all of that responsibility that was put onto you that you're robbed of your childhood? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. It's amazing that you asked that now because the journey that I'm in now is I feel that I grew up really fast and was very responsible at a very young age and then went into the field of mental health. And now I'm 32. I'll be 33 in February. I am in this journey of wanting to honor my inner child, which means I want to prioritize play more than like I ever have. And so that looks like doing more photo shoots and writing music and um, doing just fun, creative outlets to give my inner child a voice. I love that because, you know, as we get into our adult years and or adulting, as we call it, <laughs> we're told to not act like a child or stop acting like, and, and we, I think we forget what it's like to be a child because we're so caught up in adulting mm -hmm. that it just, it vanishes. And I think that more adults could benefit from going back to sometimes behaving like a kid and, and remembering what it's like to be a kid and just having fun, like just complete freedom of fun. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's I was in therapy for the last two, about like 18 months. And my therapist and I did a lot of exploration with my inner child. And it was just so healing being able to go back and just honor her and play. One of the things that she, um, you know, she asked me to take my inner child on a date and she's like, do something, you know, that, you know, she would want to do. And it was hard for me to think of what little me wanted to do. Cause I was just yeah. such a responsible little girl. I was like, she probably <laughs> wanted to go do laundry. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's not fun, Gabrielle. <laughs> no, I know, <laughs> but it makes things easier. And so I ended up taking my inner child to build a bear. Okay. And built a little bear. And at first, like I was uncomfortable because, you know, there's like all these little kids in there with their parents. And I was like, what are they thinking? And then the ladies who are working there are like, oh my goodness, who's this little bear for? And I'm like, it's for me. And they're like, who's for me? <laughs> <laughs> like, way to interest me, you know? And it was kind of pushing up against that societal norm, right? Of like, oh, yeah. well, a place where little kids come. Well, no, it doesn't have to be. And so I was there. And as I continued to push past that discomfort, I ended up having the best time ever. And I was picking out an out, like I was going around looking at all the little outfits and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fun. And I was dressing my little bear, you know, <laughs> like it just so I love it. Fun. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just stuff like that, where you have to like, push past that discomfort and like release your inhibitions and allow yourself to just come alive and, and honor that inner child and play. I love that because I think too, with art, even you hear adults talk, well, I'm not creative. I don't have a creative bone in my body. Yep. And then if they start doing art, there's all these restrictions and inhibitions. Well, I don't like the way this looks. This doesn't look perfect. This doesn't look like that. And then you think back to being a kid mm -hmm. and taking art in school and it's just, 
just throw paint at the fucking wall and see what happens. See what it, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look a certain way. Just roll with it and just do it. Exactly. Exactly. I love that you're saying that. And I use a lot of art with my clients in the therapy room because what it does is it helps us get connected to the subconscious. Traditional talk therapy is we're talking on the conscious level, you know? So if I'm asking yeah. you, like, why do you think that is? Well, if people knew why that was, they wouldn't be in therapy. You know? <laughs> like, so uh, being able to push them past that and like have them draw, even though they're not artists, perfect. Because you yeah. know, as an artist, you're a perfectionist anyways. Now, you know, or sometimes like if they are an artist, I'll make them draw with their non-dominant hand. To kind of get them out of their own way and kind of just see what the subconscious wants to bring to awareness. So it's a lot of that. And that's where a lot of the healing ends up coming from. What is it that sets you and the work you do apart from other therapists? Why would someone choose to work with you over someone else? I would just say I'm human first and therapist second. And okay. so I think a lot of my clients love working with me because I am just so relatable and so I'm just very human. <laughs> I remember when I went to therapy back in college, my therapist was so dry <laughs> they're kind of like the traditional stereotypical like and how does that make you feel you know just very robotic yeah and sterile <laughs> and you know and so I remember like when I went to school for therapy I was like I want to be the therapist that I needed and so a lot of times my clients have even said man I sometimes forget I'm in therapy because of the way that we talk and everything always has an objective I always begin with the end in mind but they don't feel like they're being therapized. And then like, I use a lot of the arts, you know, like I literally just had a session with a client and we were talking about music and just like lyrics that really speak to their story. And I'm challenging them to write their own song. I've had clients wow. challenge them to write, you know, just a chapter of a book because they're writers. So I always find my clients creative outlets and I co-author with them in that. And it's so healing because they can either write the story that they wish they had, or they can write their story as is, and, and then we can process it as we go. I've also done things where I'll have them write out maybe like a, a letter to themselves, and then I'll use music in the background, some relaxing music, and I'll have them record on their voice memos. And I'll say, you're now entering into Gabby Studios. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'll have them like read their letter over background music, and it becomes their own meditation that they can listen to because it's their own self-talk. So I just find fun, creative ways to like really allow my clients to communicate and express their healing. That sounds amazing and so powerful. Thank you. I love it. What, in your opinion, is the most important quality or skill set in a therapist? I would say doing their own work. Honestly, there's a lot of therapists that are not clients, have never been clients and are too afraid to ask for help. And that is just so, it's, it's alarming for me to see clinicians that still have their own worries and, and inhibitions to going to ask for help. I think that what's made me an even better therapist is having had therapy, especially the most recent therapist I had, to experience what a good therapist feels like. My therapist, I remember my first session with her, 
And I tried to be all buttoned up and put together because there was some shame around it. There was like, I am a therapist. I've been a therapist for a while. I should know. So I tried to tell her everything that I had been through and I wanted to psychoanalyze myself and put it in a, you know, just little labels on it so she didn't have to do too much work. And she looked at me and she said, you take care of everybody in your life. Let me do my job and take care of you. She said, you bring it to the table and I'll do the sorting. You're not too much to handle. And wow. I was like, whoa, what is that? What does that even mean? <laughs> Just so what my inner child needed to hear because the little girl in me has always been so responsible and always not wanting to be a burden. And so that really felt amazing. And honestly, therapy with her just felt like a nice, big, warm hug. That's amazing. You were seen. You were acknowledged. Exactly. And so I think that therapists need to know what that feels like so that they are able to give it to their clients. That makes complete and total sense. Gabrielle, what would you say is your greatest strength as a therapist? Wow. Yeah, I would say my humanity. I really, really love working with my clients. And something that I always give them permission to do is to tell me if I'm wrong. I let them know like, hey, I might not get this right. And, you know, I always say to them, I'm going to try something. I'm going to see if I'm getting this, but you can either accept it, reject it. You can correct it you know, whatever, but I'm going to throw this out there and let me know if I'm getting it right. And they always have permission to tell me, no, that doesn't fit or kind of, but let me correct it. And so I love that. And I've also told my clients, I said like, Hey, you know, if I fail you and I will at some point, because I am human, like I ask that you would let me know that because I want my clients to have the space with me is where they get to practice to use their voice. So tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Tell me if you need something different. And my clients really get to grow in that space with me because, you know, they know that I am human and I'm also someone that's humble enough to take feedback and the criticism. That sounds like an incredible approach because you would think that, and I don't know the field, but I'm just guessing here that a lot of therapists would just be like, I'm the therapist, you're the patient, this is how it's going to go and that's it. I've worked in a variety of clinical settings. And there definitely was a setting that I worked in and that was the mindset for sure. And it was such a difficult mindset for me to learn. And it took me time to unlearn it too, because I was there for about a year and a half. And they had a very specific population they worked with, and it was a very specific modality that they used. And so it did work, but it doesn't work in a different setting. So in their setting, it did but not in like outpatient where I'm, you know, where I'm working. And so I kind of had to, I've worked in so many different settings where I've had to kind of find what works for me, kind of make my own little salad bowl of style. And, you know, every client's different. So you have to be very flexible with each client that walks into the room because, you know, I want to meet them where they're at. They might need a different approach. Well, your approach sounds pretty fucking incredible. So keep doing the work you're doing. Thank I think you. it's amazing. Thank you. I appreciate that. What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? My clients. Honestly, yeah. my clients are my heroes. I have had days where I'm just, you know, feeling off. I'm just feeling slimed or, you know, just not feeling great. <laughs> I'm serious. I have those days where I'm just like, what is even life? You know? And then I will go into session with my clients and I light up like a Christmas tree. And after I'm done with sessions, I literally just feel so filled 
And then I'm like, I can't believe I get paid to do this. And I just, I love it. I love being able to work with people that want to do the work. And sometimes when they'll say, Hey, Gabby, I tried that thing that you, that we talked about, or I set that boundary. I'm like, hell yeah. Like this is amazing. (laughs) It's so, so rejuvenating and I love it. It's a give and get relationship. Mm -hmm. It really is. On the flip side of that, what would you say is one of the most challenging parts about the work you do? You know, uh, I don't like paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's put it out there right now. I hate I, the paperwork part. The worst. I'm like, I wish I could just hire an assistant. Like the paperwork, the billing. Like here's the thing: when you go to the doctor's office, there's the front office, the back office, and the physician. When you are a therapist in private practice, you are the front office, the back office, and the physician. And so. That's the thing. You know, I don't spend a whole lot of time face to face with clients, but in the sense that I don't have as many clients, but I have paperwork that just like (laughs) so extensive sometimes and billing. But if I don't do it, I don't get paid. And so I would say that honestly, a lot of clinicians can relate to that. We're just like paperwork is awful, but you know, ethically, we have to keep up with that. That is just. You know, it's part of the gig. It absolutely is. So, <laughs> yes. I think you could compare that to, say, artists. I mean, I know myself as a photographer, mm-hmm. when I jumped into entrepreneurship as a photographer, all I wanted to do was focus on my art. I, I had no interest in the business side of shit. I didn't care about that. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to create. So I guess it's kind of a similar thing, right? It's so, it's totally exactly the same. Yeah. I'm like, I just want to be in the therapy room with my clients and I love it. I think of the therapy room as improv, <laughs> like really, truly. I mean, I always know what we're working on. I always know what our objectives are. You know, I always begin with the end in mind, but sometimes, you know, I also very much am organic in the moment with my clients. So my clients may be coming in and telling me about a fight that they had with their significant other. And I'll use that to always bring it back to where we're going. But I'm not going to tell them like, okay, well, you know, remember we're talking about this. It's so smooth, you know, just I'm smooth yeah. with it. And then they don't even realize we're going smooth right. operator. Exactly. We're going right back to why we're here. So they always feel seen in the moment. They always feel like what they're bringing is relevant because it is like who they are. Yeah. And what they're bringing is relevant. And it always ends up being connected to what we're working on anyways. You refer to yourself as a gold digger because you believe that everyone has wealth and value and that you don't stop until your clients discover the hidden treasures they possess within. Why have you decided to make this your mission and why is this so personally important to you? So I started calling myself that when I was in grad school and it's because it's more of a mindset. It's the ability to see the value like in any situation. It's the ability to have pretty much like a growth mindset. And I would say from a very young age, I always had this mindset when something would not go my way, I would always say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? <laughs> Even if I'm yeah. if I'm running late and I got a ticket, okay, God, what, what do you want me to learn from this? <laughs> and so, <laughs> like get up earlier and be better with your time management. Like, you know, yeah. there's always something that I could be doing better, you know? And so even in conflict and relationships, it's like, okay, what, what can I learn from this? What's the goal in this situation? What's the value that I can get from this. So it's also external, but it's it's also internal in the sense that we have the ability, we have the tools, the talents and everything within us 
to live the life that we want to live. We have the ability to heal ourselves. We have the ability to create the reality that we want. And so that's kind of what that whole thing about gold digging is looking for the hidden treasures that you have within the skills, the talents, the dreams, the passions within so that you can have a wealthy life. I love it. It's so important because you think about all the people that walk around this world lost and and not finding that wealth within or not finding the tools within to make themselves happy and to pursue the true life that they want to live and their passion. So I think it's incredibly important. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Seeing that you work in two different areas of therapy, marriage or and family, do you have a preference for one over the other? Like say marriage over family or the other way around? And if so, why? Yeah, I mean, I can work with families, couples and individuals. I will say that currently quite a bit of my clients are actually individuals. And I think a lot of it has to do with the pandemic. A lot of people are really wanting to focus on themselves. And I love that because a lot of times when it comes to couples work, if each person hasn't done their own personal work, couples can be really challenging. And so when I have a client come to therapy, you know, I do like the assessment and what's bringing them in. And sometimes they'll say, I'm struggling with my partner. I'll say, do you want this to be individual or couples? And they'll say, you know what? I just kind of want to work on myself first. And I think that that is so perfect and so beautiful because they're aware. They're just saying me first, you know, I know my own stuff that I need to work on. And if I change, maybe things will be different. However, I will say that there is something in family dynamics, couple dynamics, it's called homeostasis, where everybody plays their part in the system. And so as a therapist, I, I am systemic, meaning I'm, I'm looking at how this person interacts within a family system, within a, a, a relationship system, things like that, even a work dynamic. And so as much as I can do work with that individual, they also have to be aware that when they change, that dynamic is going to also shift, but it may not be for the better if that other party isn't working. And so that sometimes can be a little tough. So I always have to prepare my clients for that. Like, Hey, by the way, when you start changing it up, you know, it's actually (laughs) going to get harder. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) because that other person is staying where they're at. Exactly. The the fine print is getting healthy actually can be really messy, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, I let them know that. And so it's really just depending on what their goals are, you know, if they want to work on themselves first. And then I always give them the option that, Hey, you know, I can also refer your partner if they want to go do the work. Sometimes I might be able to just assist in doing just like a session where their partner comes in just for one session to kind of get some perspective. But yeah, I would say a huge part of it is working with the individual and then them making yeah. choices of how they want to work in their family. Right. As mentioned at the beginning, you and of obviously being a therapist, you do a fair bit of work around and with mental health. You've had your own personal struggles around that and dealt with that. I'm curious, being a therapist, have you seen a notable shift in mental health and bringing it to the forefront or getting more exposure for the mm-hmm. issues of mental health since you first started as opposed to where you are now in your career? Absolutely. And it's very, very encouraging to see the shift. When I was in grad school, a huge thing that we were taught about when it came to ethics was that we were not supposed to have much of a social media presence. Therapists, we pretty much were considered having a position of power because as clinicians, you know, what we say 
people hold as, as, you know, gold. And so um, we weren't supposed to talk about anything controversial. We were not supposed to like talk about, you know, anything political, which is fine. I don't like talking about politics or anything, but you know, it was hard. I remember feeling like when we we were going over the ethics, I felt like I was being put in a box and I just felt like the box was getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I was like, oh man, like maybe I picked the wrong field because I just was like, I don't want to not be able to speak. I've always known that speaking and teaching was something that I wanted to do. And I knew that it wouldn't just be therapy in the therapy room. I knew I wanted to impact bigger audiences. So I was really worried about that. And so, yeah, social media back then was just like, no, you can't. If you do, you need to change your last name so that your wow. clients follow you. We're not supposed to follow our clients on social media, which I, I do not. Most likely having like private accounts, things like that. And so it was very like confining for sure. But I will say now there's a lot of therapists out there that have, they're on TikTok. They use their social media. And so it's really cool to see that. We also have to just put on disclaimers and say, hey, this does not take the place of talking to a professional. You know, I'm a therapist. I'm not your therapist. Like, you know, those kinds of things that we have to be aware of because, again, people are vulnerable and susceptible and they may be watching and they'll say, well, this therapist said that, you know. And so we have to just kind of be aware of, yeah, people are watching, but we also have to say, hey, but I'm not your therapist. Go talk to a clinician. Now, I still think that mental health awareness is nowhere near where it should be. I mean, right. I, I don't think it gets talked about enough still. And in my opinion, it it's still swept under the rug in some ways. Like it's a still a dirty little secret and it shouldn't be talked about. Would you agree with that? And why do you think that is in your opinion? Yeah, I would say that, yeah, there still is quite a bit of stigma around labels, diagnoses, and things like that, because there's just not a huge understanding. I also would say that I think there's quite a bit of overuse of certain diagnoses and not as much trauma-informed therapists. I would say that there's a lot of trauma work that needs to be done that can mimic a lot of diagnoses. And so I think that that also can be really scary for clients not wanting to go and get a a label slapped on them. I actually don't, I am not diagnosis heavy at all in my practice. I work on trauma. I work on, on healing attachment and things like that, because I, I really truly believe that once someone, a quote that I really love that I think is, is very healing is because we are hurt in relationships, we heal in relationships. And so a lot of people have attachment wounds. And so with that, there could be fear of abandonment there could be fear of rejection. And so that can show up in certain ways that can mimic some of these diagnoses, but I don't go straight to giving them a label. I go focusing on the trauma first, and then they're able to show up differently in relationships. And so that's kind of the way that I work with, with my clients to let them know like, hey, the way you're showing up actually makes sense based on your childhood trauma, based on neglect, based on abandonment. And so I think that could be a huge reason why people are fearful of talking about their mental health for fear Mm -hmm. of getting a label, a diagnosis, and not being completely understood. In your opinion then, how do we start making bigger strides and more progress with this and bring more awareness to the problem, do you think? Definitely having more conversations and not only just, you know, clinician to clinician, but I think just to like the general population. Something that I I do like with my TikTok is also talking about like 
having healthy communication, having open-ended conversations, how to be a safe person for people in your life. Because mental health and destigmatizing it isn't just about like the clinicians changing. It's about like people being safe for the people in their lives so that they can talk to their friends about it. They can talk to their family members about it. And I talk about my undergrad was in communication studies. So communication is probably the biggest thing that bring people to therapy, couples and families, is the breakdown of communication. And so I talk about the importance of having open-ended conversations, asking open-ended questions, as opposed to close-ended. Instead of saying to someone, you good? You doing okay? That's a very close-ended way to make someone feel shut down and they're not going to share how you feel versus, hey, how are you feeling today? Is there anything you want to talk about? You know, and that allows someone to open up. Something that I think our society does that drives me crazy is people will be walking by and as they're walking by you, they go, how you doing? And they keep walking. Like they won't stop. (laughs) It's just something said in passing. Exactly. So it's like, we have to show that we genuinely care about the people in our lives. If you ask someone how they're doing, stop and actually be present and listen, not take it personal when someone shares that they're struggling, you know, being more curious about it as opposed to trying to shut someone down or tell them that they shouldn't feel that way. It's almost like when when someone says that, I sometimes want to say to people, people say, hey, how you doing? I think to myself sometimes, do you really give a shit and want to hear? Or is this just something you say because it's something that we have been conditioned to say to people? It's not that you really care or want to hear about it. It's just something that we say. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's frustrating to me. And I I find myself doing certain things to kind of, I like to call myself, like I'm a troll at heart. I've always been. And so I love to kind of like make people uncomfortable. And so sometimes I'll kind of be like, oh, do you really want to know how I'm doing? You know, and just kind of like <laughs> mess with them and they kind of get caught off guard. Like, oh, what do you mean? And a lot of times when I actually will do like keynote speaking and things like that, I'll start out by asking the audience, how's everybody doing? And they'll all go, good, good. Blah, blah, blah. And then I'll say, okay, now I want you to turn to, to someone next to you. And I want you to tell them, you know, how you're really doing. Yeah. And actually share it. And then I say, okay, raise your hand if somebody next to you said something other than good. And like, they all raise their hand. And I'm like, so why'd you lie to me? <laughs> when I ask you how you're doing, I actually care. We're so used to people not caring. So we just, I'm good. You know? And if you don't give a shit, don't ask the question. If you really don't want to hear how someone's, don't ask the question. Exactly. <laughs> it's so funny. Pe- human beings are, are, are fucked up. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So as mentioned as well earlier off the top, you also do community and philanthropic work and volunteer your time. Can you talk to that a little bit? Tell us a little bit about some of the work you do. Yeah. So, I mean, years ago, I actually put on a performing arts camp for middle and high school kiddos. I loved being able to do this because the whole point of the camp was to marry my two passions of the arts and mental health. And so I talked about how our art is meant to raise awareness of issues or create solutions to problems. And so we had theater, film, dance, photography, and I was able to hire all of my creative friends to do what they (laughs) love to do. So it was super fun. And then at the end of the week, we had a panel where I interviewed several of my friends who work in the entertainment industry. And then we had a showcase. And so the dancers performed a piece and the photography students took 
photos of the camp and the videography students did a recap of the, of the camp. And it was just such a really cool way to, you know, allow these kids to express themselves. But every day I also had a topic. So I had um, a topic on one day we would talk about collaboration and then we talked about leadership. We talked about influence. We talked about character and all those different things. And I'm really passionate about working with creatives, one, because I am one. But two, I think a lot of times creatives, we feel a lot of feelings. We don't always feel understood. And a, a lot of times, you know, our art is a very vulnerable place for us. And so I love being able to like facilitate that with creatives and also encourage them to to release it and support them all the way through. So that was a couple of years ago that I did that camp. Now I do, you know, just like speaking engagements with different conferences, workshops. And I I worked at a foster care. I worked at St. Jude's Ranch for Children with foster care kiddos. And I just really love being able to let kids know that they can make a living out of what they're passionate about. Love it. I really That's think important. It really is. It really is. I think we as creatives are labeled as flighty too. Like mm-hmm. we're just all over the place and scattered. But I love that you incorporate art. You are the second therapist I've spoken to in a couple of weeks that incorporates art into their therapy processes. I think it's absolutely amazing because I think that the arts are such an important piece for kids especially like i think all kids should be involved in the arts as soon as they get into school whether it's music or mm-hmm. painting or all of it it's just such a great outlet for yeah. kids and to grow up learning about creativity and like you said to enforce to these kids that just because it's the arts because we have been told for so long oh you can't make a career out of art well yes mm-hmm. you can you absolutely can yeah and and i will say you know when you were sharing about you know artists or creatives being flighty i will say that it actually took me a really long time to actually just say that i'm a creative <laughs> Which is, it's kind of, there was this part of me, it was a huge part of my journey of really inner child work where the responsible Gabby was like, I'm the therapist business owner. You know, that felt more solid for me. That felt more adult and like I could establish myself as a therapist. And I realized how vulnerable being an artist is. I released my first song in February. It's called Playing Dead. Congratulations. Thank you so much. It took me forever to like put it out there because of the lyrics in there. And I talk about how a lot of times we play dead in order to survive. If you think about if there's an active shooter, you know, we play dead to give us a better chance of survival, but we also yeah. do this in our lives, right? Like we act like we don't like things. We we hide, we dim our light. We downplay our interests because we want to be accepted by society. And so yeah. I downplayed how creative I was because creatives are seen that way. Creatives yeah. are just, you know, all over the place. They're not uh-huh. put together. And so a part of like my journey has been to embrace my creative messy self it's a tough thing to do there i mean it takes a lot of strength and inner strength and courage to put yourself out there put your work out there it's an incredibly vulnerable thing to do because we're so worried about being judged for our work and you know it's incredibly tough i struggled with that too when i first started putting my work online 
It's like, holy shit, should I do this? What if, what if all these people see my work and they think it's shit or what if, you know, it's, and, they it's will. Hard. Yeah. and there will be some people that do feel that way, but it's also like, kind of like giving yourself permission to be you. Like it's fucking freeing too. At no. the same time, when you do it, it is like, wow, that feels so good to do that. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it, and it's I, powerful. I it really is. And I will say that honestly, when you and I connected a couple months ago, our mm-hmm. first conversation really inspired me and the trajectory that I've taken since that conversation, it's, it's it feels like it's full circle because, you know, you use your platform to empower women, which I think is incredible. And then your photography business with the boudoir shoots and all of that. I was so inspired by that conversation. And then from there, I was like, I want to start a podcast. I want to share my story. (laughs) But then, like I said, last night I was doing a photo shoot and it was the Vegas showgirls costumes. And Mm -hmm. there was a shot that I was like, I'm going to get a booty shot. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I love it. Good for you. Thank you. And I thought of you because I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what he does. He empowers women in that way in those shoots. And there was a lot of worry about what are people going to think? Are people going to think that I'm not professional? Are people going to think that I'm being provocative? Are people going to, you know, whatever. And then I was like, who cares? Yeah. At the end of the day, do they pay my bills? That's right. And the other part of it is it's a huge journey for me because I grew up in the church and there's a lot of shame around our bodies. And there's a huge push on like this whole purity culture thing that I think has really stunted a lot of people. And I've seen it as a therapist, clients that I've had to work with. Oh my goodness, the amount of trauma that has created. It's just, it's absolutely sad. It's it's horrific. And so For me, I think a huge reason why I have strayed away from modeling and and photography and that was because I felt like objectified Mm. for a really long time. My parents pushed me into the industry at a very young age. I've been singing my whole life. I used to sing with a professional singing group. So I've been around the entertainment industry for a very long time, but I always felt objectified and I never felt like my body was my own and I never felt like my voice was my own. I worked with like different producers and they would write music for me, but it wasn't anything that I wanted to say. I would, you know, take photos and it wasn't anything that I wanted to pose in, right? Like it's just their children to show up. So I, in the last couple of years have said, I'm going to steward my beauty. I'm going to steward my talents in the way that I want to. I'm going to use my body in a way that I want to. And so it was very empowering to be able to do that. And I also am like, people shouldn't have to look at a woman's body and sexualize it. You can simply just look and say, wow, you know, that's a beautiful photo. You know, she's very athletic. Good for her. Like, you know, she Uh clearly keeps up with her body. Like, why can't it be that kind of conversation? Why does it automatically have to be sexual? And I had to get over it in my head. Like that's what I'm thinking other people are thinking. And what I had to do to get beyond that was I started following a lot of modeling accounts and things like that. And I had to not desensitize myself in like a bad way, but in a way of, I had to appreciate it, the art. I had to appreciate, you know, these shoots and say, that is a really beautiful shot. Wow. And, Mm -hmm. And appreciate it in that way. That's amazing. And that's so powerful. I love it. And I love that you've stepped into that. I think it's incredible. And thank you for the acknowledgement about our conversation. And I'm glad that that conversation inspired you. I think that's incredible. If we can inspire one another, I mean, isn't that 
part of what we're here to do on this planet is to inspire each other, learn from each other, cheerlead one another, all of those things. So I'm honored that you found inspiration in our conversation. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. I mean, it's in, it's empowering to be inspired by a man in that space. Like, I think that that was like one of the biggest things that I took away from our conversation. Like you said, you're surrounded by wonderful women in your life and like you honor them. And like, I just was like, that is definitely something that we need to see more of in this society. Um, We do for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And this is a great segue because you mentioned podcasting and you started your own podcast. So can you tell us a little bit about your podcast, the title, subject matter, is it interview style, solo, a mix of both? Tell us about it. Yeah, thanks. So hasn't been released yet, but working on the episodes, um, it's called Therapist Off-Duty. That is what this segment of my life is, is yes, I am a therapist, but I'm off-duty. And that's me (laughs) like allowing myself to set those boundaries because for you know, a long time I've always felt that that is how I showed up in every arena of my life is the therapist, the professional, the person that is taking care of everybody. And when I'm off duty, I'm off duty. I am showing my ass. I am doing whatever I want to do. You know, <laughs> no it's Gabrielle time. That's right. It's me time. It's play time. And yeah. so the show, you know, is I'm going to have entertainers, artists, creatives come on the show and talk about the arts, but also talk about their their mental health. And it's going to be uh-huh. conversational, just talking about, I want to humanize artists yeah. because I can relate to, like I said, I used to sing professionally. And then I've also been a therapist. People oftentimes want us to show up in that way and not as human first. And so yeah. I remember when I used to sing, people didn't care that I had a bad day. They paid for the tickets, entertain me. Same thing as, as therapists. I would never say this about my clients because it's not true for my clients, but people that, you know, just know that I'm a therapist, they're like, well, aren't you a therapist? Don't you have unlimited amount of compassion? And so the show like therapist off duty is kind of giving people that permission to be like, Hey, I'm off duty. You can be off duty too. We're having conversations as humans about what it's like to be someone that, you know, people look up to, but what is it really like to be you as a human? You know, we'll share about their upbringings and their backgrounds. We'll touch a little bit on their mental health and then just the arts and entertainment. I love it. I love the title. I think it's awesome. Thank you. So congratulations and good for you for stepping up and doing that. Thank you. I really have you to thank really, truly. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm flattered <laughs> and that and honored. That means a lot to me truly from the bottom of my heart. So thank you. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Wow. My superpower. I would say creativity, for sure. Creativity. Anywhere I go, and it's really cool that like one of my friends really said this. She said, Gabby, like anything that you do, you literally bring the stage with you. And I just really love that because I do. I think of life as a stage. And I just, I think that that's so fun. I think therapy and the arts are just so intertwined because in therapy, we teach clients to rewrite their stories. Like narrative therapy is a huge modality that I use. And so the ability to create your life, the ability to just come up with or create what it is that you want your life to look like, I think is so powerful. And that all starts from like your imagination. It is for sure. And it does. Absolutely. So speaking of success, Gabrielle, mm-hmm. how do you define that word? What does the word success mean to you? Success means being true to myself, really okay. being being true, being authentic, being congruent. And that success 
is like moment to moment for me. It's like in this very moment, I set a boundary and I honored myself and that was success. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? Well, I would say it would be the importance of like taking care of myself first, like putting my own mask on, like they say in the airplane, because I've seen what it's like to try to put everybody before me. And that almost had me not be here anymore. So kind of learning the importance that it's okay to put yourself first and prioritize your mental health and your self-care. It's actually like vital to do that. So I would say that that's changed my life because ever since I started being honest about what I wanted, I've become more vibrant. I've become more alive. I've become more helpful. And I even think like in this season of my life, being more willing to share my story actually helps, I think, more people than just being the professional that has all the answers and the expert. I realized that being myself and being human is just that much more powerful and valuable. And I think that that's a huge thing that I've always wanted was to make sure that I added value. So I know that in the past, I would overcompensate by showing like how smart I was or by getting more degrees or by doing all the things. And now I'm just like, nope, just who I am is perfect. It's good good enough. enough. (laughs) Exactly. Good for you. What was a turning point in your life and how did that affect you? Ooh, a turning point in my life. I would say, so I shared a bit about my dad. My dad is, he's a narcissist and he was very, very, very controlling of me and was extremely tough. My dad would, like I said, both my parents tried to push me into the industry, but I moved in with my dad when I was 15 and he would tell me what I could or I couldn't wear. Like literally would go shopping with me, tell me like, no, you can't wear this. Yes, you can't wear that. If I didn't have my nails done in a color that he liked, he'd make me go redo my nails. Holy Um, shit. Yeah. My hair is naturally curly, but my dad didn't like it. So I would have to straighten it. I remember I would never wear jeans in in high school because my dad didn't let me wear jeans. And so there was just so many things where I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know how to dress my body because there was just so much of like my dad controlling me. Like I felt like a little doll. I remember my dad, he would talk to his friends like, oh yeah, like my daughter, she would never walk out of the house without something that I don't approve of. Or if she (laughs) she goes shopping, she always brings her clothes back to me to make sure that I like it, which was true. That's how I was trained to do. And I remember (laughs) there's two different parts of the story, kind of my way. And at this time I was 21 at the time I was singing with the sounds of blackness and we had to wear all white for one of our shows. And so I had this, like, it was like a, I was 21 and I was wearing like this long pencil skirt and a, and a white blazer, just super like conservative. Like I was going to church and that's what my dad was like. Yes, you can wear that. Well, my friend and I went to the mall and I ended up finding this really pretty, like white bodycon dress. And like, I was like, oh dang, I didn't know I had a booty. Like, you know, I, <laughs> I never wore anything like that, you know? Yeah. And in the top was like lacy and it fell off my shoulders and it was really pretty. And I was like, ooh, and my friend's like, you have to get that. And I was like, okay, I didn't even know my body looked like that, but okay. So I got it. And so the day of the show, I leave in the those pencil skirt and, and the blazer. Yeah. Like most kids do this in high school. This is me at yes. 21, you know? Wow. <laughs> and I'm leaving the house in my little church outfit and I get to the venue and I go and I change into the white dress. You know, my, my friend's like, oh my God, you look amazing. And as I'm walking by, 
I get this guy who whistles at me and he's like, woohoo, and he's commenting on my body. And immediately I felt shame. I felt shame because I'm like, oh, this is exactly why I'm not supposed to dress like this. This right. is my fault. Like, you know, I should have listened to my dad. And I internalized. Yeah. And I internalized, like, this is my fault. So that was kind of one moment of like, man, like, you know, it was kind of an aha moment for me. The second one was where we were getting ready for church one morning. And my dad was a pastor, by the way. And I normally always straighten my hair because that's what my dad wanted. And I remember washing my hair and definitely didn't have time to blow dry and straighten my hair. So I just let it stay curly. And yeah. I had straightened my hair for so long that my curls were not like curly like they are now. They kind of were like limp and just okay. whatever, wavy. But I wore it like that. And I went downstairs. My dad's like, um, aren't you going to do your hair? And I'm like, no, my hair is done. He's like, well, I don't like your hair like that. And I looked at him and I was like, well, it's a good thing I don't get ready for you now, isn't it? And I walked out. <laughs> <laughs> and my curls are my biggest F you to my dad. Because now they're like my signature where I'm just like, oh no, like my curls were my first way of kind of like differentiating from my dad and saying, I am my own person. Don't you dare yeah. to me. Gabrielle, what does the word empowerment mean to you? When I hear the word empowerment, it makes me feel alive. I feel it like in my chest. It feels like there's like this openness and this freedom to express and to just be who you are. And so I would say that, like, I feel like it takes that one person to do that. And then being that it's like a ripple effect. Like yeah. it, it's like, man, like if she can do it. I know I can. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping okay. of questions is just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Love it. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Probably. I want to say like hot and spicy or something like that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't know why. Like hot and spicy. Well, go with that. There you yeah. go. How would you describe yourself in one word? Sassy, classy, and smart assy. Oh, that's not even one word. That's like a whole <laughs> Nope. <laughs> that's <a whole> slogan. <laughs> okay. That should that should be your warning label. <laughs> yeah, okay. That that's the warning label. And you could describe myself in one word. Yeah. I would say creative. What was your dream job as a child? To be a singer or to be like a news anchor. And I feel like I do both now, essentially, <laughs> in okay. different ways. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Gold Digger. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? The world needs you to be exactly who you are. Show up and you'll start to realize that the world's been waiting for you all along. What is your favorite self-care practice? I would say listening to really just like calming, relaxing music, instrumental. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? I would say just my real firecracker spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> what is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Boundaries. <laughs> Scream it from the rooftop. Seriously. <laughs> I I even say this to like my, my therapist friends because a lot of them, they still struggle with this. We all, you know, we're human, but we get into this field because we want to help. But your business is only as healthy as you are. So set those boundaries and work on yourself and realize why it's hard for you to set boundaries in your business. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? My sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yes. In the last two years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? I would say 
to be more open-minded and less like judgmental of, I think my, my, I, my faith is super important to me, but I do think that there was a very narrow view of like how I saw things and how I showed up. Now that like, I don't limit myself to how I see my faith spiritually, I also see myself to be more expansive and take up more space and allow myself to be more complex and full. And, and I think uh-huh. that that's beautiful. Yeah. More authentic. Absolutely. Yeah. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any mm-hmm. woman in the world, who yeah. would it be and why? It's Oprah. I love her so much. <laughs> Yes. I call her Auntie O. I believe I'm going to meet Oprah one day. I'm so, okay. she literally is my uh, screensaver right now. <laughs> and I always joke around and I say, I want to be the singing Oprah. Seriously. She's a talk show host, a television producer, actress, author, philanthropist. I'm like, hell yeah. Like that's what I want to do with my life. But I would love to, I mean, she has her own story of overcoming childhood abuse and all of that. And so she has, you know, used her platform to just advocate for people and to allow people to share their stories. And I just think that that's incredible. Yeah. So Oprah, and I would, I would ask her, what's her greatest accomplishment? I'm like so curious about that. What does success mean to her? Right? Like those questions I ask like, I'm like, what does that mean to you? You know? (laughs) Yeah. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Sing more, never stop singing. Lastly, Gabrielle, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your tribe, your corner of the world, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? You know, the world needs the gifts that you have inside of you. What you don't have is hidden in someone else, and life is a treasure hunt. So, do some digging and start, you know, discovering the people around you, see what they have that could help you get to the next level. You have things that can help other people. We're not meant to do this thing called life on our own, but it's important that you show up authentically so that your people can find you and continue to work on yourself. You're worth the investment. Really, truly like put your money where your mouth is and make sure that you're always, always, always focusing on becoming the healthiest version of yourself. And there's never a place that you're arriving. We're constantly always evolving and growing. So as long as you're better than you were yesterday, you're doing okay. Beautifully said. Gabrielle, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with me today and sharing about your journey, your story. This conversation has been incredibly inspirational. You are a true inspiration and beacon of light and just keep shining your bright, beautiful light out into the world and doing the amazing and incredible work that you're doing. It's such an honor to have had this time to chat with you. And I'm also honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you for that as well. Of course. Thank you. I really, really, really appreciate this opportunity. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Gabrielle Burton. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, a philanthropist, and a podcast host. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.